A good and gracious God has blessed us with the opportunity to be here tonight together. And we've had to get out some of the funeral home air conditioning fans. Uh, I believe some of the brethren said there was a little bit of a problem with the cooling system or something. That has happened to us at Carthage several times over the years. Just as our gospel meeting was beginning, we would have a little bit of a problem with the heating and cooling. And we solved that when uh, a young man obeyed the gospel a few years ago. He is now in the heating and cooling business. <laughs> and so when we, uh, uh, he is now serving as one of our deacons, and if we have a problem, well, he just goes right to work on it and takes care of it before very long. To say that I'm honored and privileged in an esteemed way by being here for this gospel meeting is really an understatement. I really appreciate the privilege that is mine to be here with you. It is humbling. It's very challenging. We realize that those of us who preach and teach God's Word have a very awesome responsibility to speak as the oracles of God. That is always my intent and my desire. Should I say something tonight with which you disagree, I would want you to discuss it with me because my soul hangs in the balances too. Paul told Timothy to take heed unto himself as well as to the gospel that he was preaching and to be fully aware of the responsibility that was his. And all of us who preach, those who teach in Bible classes, in personal work meetings with friends and people that we've made contact with, we all have a great responsibility to handle the Word of God aright and correctly. And when that is done, good things will happen, and people will be converted to Christ not because of our ability, but because of the power of the gospel of Christ, which is his power, as we shall see tonight, unto salvation. Well, Randy mentioned Hillham. I'm going to mention the fact that some are here again tonight from Carthage, and I always count that a great honor because uh, they have listened to me speak for 38 years. But we have grown to love and respect and honor one another. One of our elders is here tonight, and along with a former elder, Brother W.A. Gibbs, who was serving as an elder when I moved to Carthage uh, back in 1976, and Sister Dimple Hicks, who is uh, a neighbor and a dear friend. She lived just across the fence, and when something would happen, if I was, thought I was needed over there, I'd jump the fence. I heard a building fall one day, and I just knew that Joe was in that building. And I jumped the fence and took off over there to see what was going on. And they've been very good to me through the years. And I must mention, too, the folks from Monterey. Just before I moved to Carthage, I preached at Monterey. And I have never forgotten our stay there. As far as the climate and everything is concerned, and we just love the people, of course, but it was so delightful this time of year and in the autumn at Monterey. The temperature was always just a tad cooler. The humidity was always a tad lower. And the friendliness of the people was always refreshing. 
And uh, we're down on the river now, and just about everybody down there has sinus problems the, years around, the year around. And uh, so we all talk about that. You can't get any sympathy because everybody else has got the same problem. But uh, we've really enjoyed the time in Carthage as we did in Monterey. I prefaced this, the lesson last night by talking a little bit about the need to obey the gospel, the importance of obedience to the gospel. I'm going to enlarge upon that a little bit more tonight and remind us of some very important principles concerning our relationship to God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, by which we have determined our relationship to God. Because God speaks to us today through His Son, he doesn't speak to us as he did uh, under the law of Moses and in times past, but he speaks to us through his Son, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Jesus has been given all authority according to Matthew 28, 18. And when he was transfigured on that mount in the presence of some of his apostles along with Moses and Elijah, uh, you find that God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, just as He did when John baptized Jesus. But He added three very important words. He said, Hear you Him. Moses had spoken. Elijah had spoken. But now God was going to speak through His Son. Moses and the prophets had had their say and their day, but now the period wherein Christ would be the authoritative one giving religious instruction, that would be, this would be his time. And we are to hear him now. There are many people who are still looking for modern day prophets. There are those who follow Muhammad and others, and they say, well, you know, uh, that he was the last great prophet. No, Jesus Christ is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we are to listen to him. We are to hear him and him alone. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his apostles not to let their hearts be troubled, and urged them uh, to believe in God and believe also in Him. And he talked to them about the fact that after he departed and returned to heaven, he would send another comforter who would guide them into all truth. Of course, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. And we know that those promises which were made in John chapters 14, 15, and 16 were fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Spirit came and sat upon the apostles. And they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were even endowed to speak in tongues because there were many different peoples gathered on that day who spoke many different languages and dialects. Some have surmised that there were at least 17 different peoples present on that day. That is, Jews, devout men from 
many and various nations. But the message that was presented to all of those people was the same message. And that was the message of salvation. Most of us, or many of us, I should say tonight, because we have, a, uh, have had a sizable number of young people here all week. And now young people's anybody under 50 to me, you know. But uh, we've got a lot of teenagers, a lot of small children. That's been so encouraging. And we have dispelled a myth that has uh, sort of become entrenched the last several years, and that is that the day of the gospel meeting is over, that you just can't have gospel meetings anymore. Well, you folks have proven that wrong. Gospel And young people will come to gospel meetings. You know, uh, we helped with Jackson Smith County Youth Camp and have for many years. And we had been told on occasions that uh, young people weren't interested in studying about heaven. And a lot of people bought into that, that you just couldn't interest children and young teenagers and so on in the subject of heaven. We had camp one year and... There was a young lady who was at camp that was killed in an automobile accident before the next year's camp. Some of us got our heads together and said, let's talk about heaven. And we studied the subject of heaven with those young people. You talk about interested in a subject, they showed the great, and we had, we had I've forgotten how many baptisms that year. There was something fresh on their minds. The death of their friend made an impression on them. And we needed to strike while the iron was hot, so we did. But I learned that young people are interested in heaven. And all of us ought to be. The gospel is the message of salvation. Paul said in Romans 1.16 that it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That's in Romans 1.16. Earlier in Romans 1 verse 5, Paul points out that the purpose of his work as an apostle in preaching and teaching the gospel was unto the obedience to the faith among all nations. And when you go to the last few verses of the book of Romans... Sort of a grand concluding statement. Paul reiterates that same thought, that same idea. That the purpose of preaching and teaching is unto the obedience of faith. You see, it's not enough merely to believe. Belief must be accompanied by and must produce obedience. It's not enough to tremble and say, as do the devils, I believe. The devils believe and tremble. But men, in order to be saved, must obey that gospel. In Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, we learn that though Jesus were a son, he suffered, uh, he learned obedience. And that he became the author of eternal salvation. Notice, the author, the originator, the giver of eternal salvation. 
unto all those who believe, no, unto all those who obey Him. That's Hebrews 5, verse 9. Jesus suffered much in this life. He patiently endured. And His hallmark statement was always, I want to do the will of the Father. Remember? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That is, thy will be done. When an individual gets to the point that he really means what he sings, when we sing, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. That's when we come to have the mind of Christ. Because that is what the Lord's desire was. That's what His intent was always. And He was set on doing the will of the Father at whatever cost. Calvary was not enjoyable. It was not a picnic. It was not a rose garden. It was a tremendous physical and mental ordeal that he was willing to endure that you and I might enjoy salvation. Morgan Medlin was telling me a while ago that there was a lady who told him one time, that she had been attending meetings in which he was preaching for, I believe, 39 nights, 39 nights in succession. I remember some of those meetings in, that Morgan preached in. Ten days, two-week efforts, and people would come. Sometimes they'd set out on the car hoods or the fenders, windows would be opened, you know, and, and they'd be sitting outside listening. I don't think he was preaching in the meeting uh, at McCoinsville once when a fellow came in from outside, responded to the invitation, made the good confession and was later baptized either in the building at Gainsborough or maybe down on Flynn's Creek. I don't know which. But I remember things like that. But you know what was being preached in those days was the message of salvation. I remember Brother Willard Collins saying that he always tried to develop a plan for a gospel meeting. He said, in the first lesson or two, I try to identify the problem. He said, the problem is sin. He said, in the next two or three lessons... I try to reveal the solution. And the solution is obedience to the gospel. Tell people how they can be saved from their sins. And then he said at the last couple of services, I try to provide motivation. You've identified the problem. You've told them how it can be solved. Now you've got to motivate them. So without any reservation or shame, those brethren, Brother Collins and W.A. Bradfield and a lot of them, 
would preach sermons regularly on the judgment, on heaven, and on hell. I remember someone preaching a sermon entitled, A Prayer Meeting in Hell. And you were never the same after you heard that lesson. And so much of the preaching was designed to tell people how to be saved from sin. The climate in our culture now is such that nothing is sin. People don't even know what sin is. And then since there's no sin, of what interest is the subject of salvation? Salvation from what? There's no sin. I'm not lost. So why do I need to know anything about salvation? Do you know what we're preaching oftentimes today? The gospel of success. I want to tell you how to be successful. Now there is a place in time for teaching Christian men and women how to be successful husbands and wives and fathers and mothers. And I preach on those things. But somebody observed one time that we can be the best adjusted people in the world and still be lost. And that's really the truth of the matter. You can tell a person how to succeed financially, how to be successful in the business world, teach them how to be a, a good citizen, and obey the laws of the land, everything, but you still hadn't told him what to do to be saved from sin. So we perhaps need to go back to more evangelistically oriented gospel meetings. And talk about faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. And what follows baptism. Remember some of those film strips we used to show? Uh, you'd show those Jewel Miller film strips about how to become a Christian. And then you would follow up with, now that I am a Christian. That covers all of that matter that we simply boil down and say, be faithful. Oh, that speaks volumes. But we need to teach that being faithful involves doing all we can to bring every thought into captivity for Christ, as Paul described it on one occasion. Paul made no bones about it. He knew the gospel was God's power unto salvation, and he preached it wherever and to whomever. It made no difference if the people were poor or if they were very rich and powerful people. He preached the same message to kings and governors that he preached to the peasants in the marketplaces. He preached to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, he knew there would be scoffers, just as there are today. He knew there would be skeptics, people who would simply refuse to believe the gospel. But he preached it anyway. What do you do when people won't listen? What do you do when people get angry? What do you do when people sometimes get up and walk out? You keep on preaching the gospel. 
the same sun that hardens the clay will melt the wax. It all depends on what is setting in the sun. And men's hearts are like that. Sometimes you can preach the truth to people and one person will have his heart touched. The person sitting right next to him will leave mad. That's the nature of the gospel. Paul understood that. If you study Acts 17 and lots of other passages, you'll find that there were several different responses to the very same gospel, even being delivered by the same preacher. Some of the Athenians mocked Paul, made fun of him. Others were just somewhat indifferent. They said, well... We have the opportunity, we'll listen to you again sometime. But, you know, we don't have the opportunity. Probably hadn't missed much. They were just sort of indifferent. But some of the Athenians believed and became New Testament Christians. And that's the way it happens today. We had a fellow in Carthage one time that was state trooper down there. He's quite a character. He could tell you some funny stories. He told me once about stopping this lady who was really driving way too fast. And, of course, she started offering excuses, and she said, I just don't understand why in the world you don't catch all of those other people who were passing me. And he said, well, ma'am, it's like this. When I go fishing, I don't catch all the fish. When we preach the gospel, we don't catch all the people. Because the nature of preaching and the nature of the gospel is, the design of the gospel is that people must respond voluntarily because they want to not because they are, are coerced. There are people who have visited our assemblies and on occasion they will say something along this line. It's good to go to a religious service and not have people coming back to you during the, quote, song of encouragement or invitation song and putting pressure on you to get saved. And in our part of the country, that, that happens a lot in some of the religious groups. And so it is refreshing to those people just to be able to sit and listen and exercise their will, their understanding, and to feel like they're not being pressured into doing something. And I've told more than one, and the other brethren from Carthage have too. You know, that's not the way of the gospel. You preach it powerfully. You plead with people. 
but you do it lovingly. And then when they're converted, it's because they have received that word in a good and honest heart and allowed it to germinate and bring forth fruit. One of the saddest stories, but a very instructing one, is when the rich young ruler came to Jesus inquiring what else he needed to do in order to have eternal life. And Jesus told him what he needed to do. You remember what it was. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. Come and follow me. And the Bible says the young man turned and walked away went away sorrowfully because he had great possessions. There's one of the accounts that says that Jesus loved that young man. He had great respect for him. He, he loved him. There was, you know, no bad connotation to that now. He just looking upon him, he loved him. You know, no different than anybody else. Jesus loves everybody. Wants all to be saved. But the thing that is so interesting is that Jesus did not run after him. He didn't beg and plead with him to come back. He didn't say, well, maybe we can, uh, maybe we can alter that a little bit, you know, and, and, and sort of water it down a little bit so it'll be more palatable to you. Now, if that'll keep you here with me and, and you'll follow me, why? No, he didn't make any deals with him. R.C. Oliver preached a sermon many years ago in Carthage entitled The Ground is Level at the Foot of the Cross. And so many of us at Carthage have never forgotten that sermon. The purpose of the sermon was to establish the fact that the conditions of salvation are the same for all people. You know, some people want to make a deal with the Lord. And they want to be saved this way or that way or some other way. I heard an interesting story the other day that involved Brother G.K. Wallace. I had an opportunity not to have a class under Brother Wallace, but while I was attending Freed Hardeman, I, uh, he would lecture to us preacher boys. And Brother Wallace was even shorter than I am, and, and uh, he had a little thing under the stand in, in Chapel Hall, and he would pull it out and step up on it so he would appear to be higher. But he was always in command of the situation. Just the other day up at uh, the lectureship at Southeast in Knoxville, uh, Brother David Farr told this story that Brother Brother Wallace told when he was in college. Brother Wallace was in a place conducting a meeting, and he was walking to the place where they were going to be meeting, and he heard footsteps running behind him. Now, that was before the days of jogging. So it sort of startled him because he knew whoever that was was running and that they were coming up very quickly on him. So he turned around. And this young man ran right up in his face and said, The Holy Ghost told me to come up here and ask you if you were saved. 
And Brother Wallace said, well, young man, the Holy Ghost knows that I am saved because I was baptized in his name. And he said, you got another ghost after you. It's not the Holy Ghost that's after you. I can just see Brother Wallace telling him that. Now that young man was going to try to tell him that he had had some sort of special revelation. And I'm sure Brother Wallace, before that conversation was over, told him a great deal about the plan of salvation that's revealed in the New Testament. But he asked Brother Wallace, are you saved? Brother Wallace said, yes, I'm saved. And the young man didn't know where to go from there. He was really confused because he probably sincerely believed that the Holy Spirit directed him to question Brother Wallace about such things. But you see, we've gotten away from just establishing the basic principles of salvation. Telling people, you need to hear what God has said. Because listening to God is important. Have you ever taken a concordance and just looked at the word hear and related words and see how often God's people were told, listen to what I'm saying. Pay attention. And not only that, but take those things into your heart and impart them to your children and your children's children. Are we doing that today? Are we really teaching the Word, and not just in Bible classes? I'm telling you, it's, it's no secret. You cannot combat all the philosophies and all the things that are being taught in the public school system and in other places in the lives of young people today with a 30-minute Bible class or two each week. You just can't do it. Parents need to be involved. Sometimes I ask my grandchildren, well, what are you learning in school? What are they teaching you in this class or that class? When my kids were in school, I said, I want you to bring your textbooks. Well, Daddy, they don't, they don't like for us to do that. I said, it doesn't matter to me. I want you to bring those textbooks home because I want to see them. And if you don't bring them home, I'll go to the school and ask for them. Because I wanted to know what my kids were being taught. And when we had those parent-teacher conferences, I went and talked to the teachers. I wanted to know how things were going. I wanted to know if my child was behaving, being a good student, being respectful. But I also wanted to know, you know, what other things might be going on. We need to be involved. There's no holidays. No vacations when you're a parent. You got to stay on your toes and be alert at all times. Because the soul of your child is at stake. And that is the most precious thing in the world. We need to view the value of all souls in that way. Why do you need to believe in Jesus Christ? Why do you need to turn from your sins? Why do you need to make that good confession? Why do you need to be baptized into Christ? Well, friends, the Bible clearly speaks to those things. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
Romans 10, 17. And without such faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And that faith leads you to turn to God from sin. Because if you don't repent, you're going to be lost, as we said last night. Not so much because Jesus condemns you. He came to save you. But you're simply going to remain in a state of condemnation until and unless you come to Him because He is the only Savior. And His gospel is the only means of salvation. Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not a power, but the power. Do you notice in the New Testament, you never find a Christian where the gospel has not gone. And you never find a New Testament church where the gospel has not gone. We need to take the gospel into all the world, to every creature. And what is the response to that gospel? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 15, and 16. I think it was Brother Hardiman who first pointed out that that was a complex declarative sentence. That's the first source I ever saw. There's a declaration made in that statement. The primary sentence, Brother Hardiman would analyze it this way, is he shall be saved. Who is the he that shall be saved? And Brother Hardiman would point out, not the he who believes, nor is it the he who is baptized but rather it is the he who believes and is baptized. Both of those things modify the he whose objective is being saved. For many years I preached on the radio every day in Carthage. And I had learned from preachers before me of the importance of the basic fundamentals of the gospel. And we would talk about that passage in Acts 2.38 and other passages many, many times. There would be preachers from denominational churches that would sometimes call and we would have discussions about those things. And the establishment of the church and uh, the matter of uh, once saved, always saved, things of that nature. See, people were listening and they were thinking about things like that. They were interested in things like that. That's still a need today. Why? Because everybody needs to be saved. Because they're going to be lost if they aren't. Why do we need to obey the gospel? We need to obey the gospel so that we can enjoy all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 3. We need to obey the gospel so we can be saved eternally in heaven and avoid the terrible place called hell. A place where there will be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. A place of outer darkness where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. 
be much better, wouldn't it, to be in heaven where there will be no death, no crying, no tears, no sickness, no pain. We could talk about all the things that you'll never find in heaven. There won't be any hearses, no funeral homes, no hospitals. None of those dreaded shots that so many people have to take. My mother-in-law takes two or three a day for diabetes. All of that will be gone. I really relish the books of the last two chapters of the book of Revelation where John gives us a picture of heaven and he uses two little words that I've talked about so many times. The words are no more. No more death. No more pain. No more night. No more separation. On and on he goes talking about no more. No more. Because here in this life, we experience all of those things. Friends, if that thought does not motivate us to obey the gospel and to live faithfully in God's service, then I don't know what will. I was a young preacher preaching in Indianapolis, Indiana, after having moved there from preaching at Baghdad. And we had pulpit swaps there in Indianapolis and I was invited while one preacher was preaching at Park Avenue I was invited to another congregation and I preached a, just a basic sermon much like tonight and talked about heaven and hell and the judgment there was this lady who came up to me after services and she said you know you need to be telling us something new something different that will motivate us more. And I looked, I guess, a little bit sadly into her eyes. And I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. But if the things that I've talked to you about tonight do not motivate you, quite frankly, I am at a loss for what would. And that hasn't changed in all of these years. When you think about standing before God in judgment, and hearing him say one of two things, either enter thou into the joys of thy Lord or depart from me. I've never known you. You know, that'll be what we'll all hear, either one or the other of those things. That ought to get our attention and cause us to realize the importance of obeying the gospel. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not. God is all-powerful. We know that God, as we say sometimes, can do anything. Of course, the Bible says he can't lie. And there are some other things that he can't do. One of which is he can't save you against your will. And he can't save you outside his will. He is so positioned things that if you want to be saved from your sins you must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ now that's what you need to do if you're here tonight and that's the need in your life we hope you'll have the courage to do it as together we stand and sing